Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. What is going on, party people? Welcome back to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It is Victory Lane. Today is episode 83, as you see from the title. And we have another champion on the show, Jesse Love, Arkham Menard Series West title holder for Bill McAnally Racing. We're chatting with him, but before that, we're paying homage to Brian Vickers and Lake Speed. Take it away, Pops. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to this Thanksgiving week look back at number 83. 645 starts for the 83, and we focus today on the two drivers who piloted the number to victory lane. Last week, we remembered Scott Speed and that cool Red Bull car he drove in 2009 and 2010. His teammate for most of that time was Brian Vickers. Vickers drove the 83 141 times between 2007 and 2011. That included a magical weekend at Michigan in August 2009, where he started from the pole and won the Carfax 400. It was one of three wins in all for Vickers over a 14-year cup career that was cut short by blood clot and heart issues. We also noted last week when discussing Scott Speed that he was no relation to another of the greatest names in NASCAR history, Lake Speed. Well, this week we remember Lake Speed, who piloted the 83 92 times from 1987 through 1993. That included a special day at Darlington in March 1988 when he won the Trans-South 500. It was the only win in his 20-year 402 race cup career. Most people remember Lake Speed as much for his name as they do his cup results, but he was quite an accomplished talent. He won the International Karting Federation National Championship six times, and in 1978, he won the prestigious Karting World Championship over, among others, future three-time Formula One champion, Ayrton Senna. Not too shabby. That's all for this week. Hope everyone has a happy and safe Thanksgiving. And Duve, your mama and I are most thankful for you. Oh, that was so nice, wasn't it? Warms your heart if you're listening, I hope. And I am also very thankful for you, Dad, for you, Mom, and you, the listeners. I really am, actually, though. Thank you, guys. This is a bright spot of my week, bright spot of my life at the moment. So thank you guys for your support, and I appreciate you very, very much. Um, Before we get to Jesse, I want to touch on the the homage that was just paid to Vickers and Lake Speed. I highly recommend going to the Scene Vault podcast and looking in their archives for a conversation with Lake Speed, where he talked at length about his win at Darlington in the Cup Series, the one and only, um, and his time as as a carter beating Ayrton Senna at the World Karting Championships. That's insane. And also about Brian Vickers, A, I think that race my dad mentioned at Michigan, we actually were at. I think we were. I forget it was actually rain-delayed to a Monday or not. Like, I forget. But I, I vaguely remember me being really young and us seeing Brian Vickers win, and I was like, what? He doesn't win all the time. Um, and the blood clot thing, that was unfortunate because I think that he had a lot more to give and he had a lot left in the tank when it comes to NASCAR. But something that people gloss over is that he actually had somewhat of a connection to Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, uh, kind of interesting. So if you just Google like Jeffrey Epstein, Brian Vickers, I found it. I didn't do too much of a deep dive because, frankly, I didn't really want to. And I watched the Epstein documentary on Netflix and I was like, yep, that's enough for my life. But Brian Vickers' wife actually was an accomplice of Epstein and helped it help like bring young young girls in. Um, with Jeffrey Epstein so like that's pretty shady and some shady you know what um, 
that was going on there. But anyways, I didn't really want to get off into like a conspiracy theory or like, you know, crappy people doing crappy things because this is a bright and jolly show where we listen to bright and jolly things. So let's start it off, as always, with a good old fashioned. It's going to be a big one, people. Do it with me. Three, two, one. I don't know why I felt like giving you a double. Maybe it's because nobody's home at the moment, but I gave that one a big ol' and it's a triple. Would you look at that? Triple for episode 83. Jesse Love, let's chat with him right now. But before we do, if you like what you've heard so far, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud. You know the deal. I will not waste any more time, people. Here is your 2020 Arkham Menard Series West champion for Bill McAnally Racing, 15-year-old, but wise beyond his years, Jesse Love. Back-to-back champions on Victory Lane in the past couple weeks. Last week, we had Arkham Menard Series national champion, Brett Holmes. And today, we got the man out west, Jesse Love, 2020 Arkham Menard Series West champion for Bill McAnally Racing. We were just chatting. You're in California right now, Jesse, decompressing a little bit, but still getting some racing in here and there from a crazy season that was. You're going to stay busy throughout the winter, too. I know you got a lot of stuff planned, right? Yeah. So basically in the winter, you know, I try not to have an off season. You know, you always want to be in the car and, and stay sharp. You know, you don't want to have like a shock when you get back to racing, right? So yeah, um, I'll be doing the road course winter heat deal out in Charlotte, you know, obviously with NASCAR with uh, them having a lot more road courses on the schedule, it's, it's going to be really prominent. And um, obviously road racing is really important to, uh, to be, a, you know, a championship competitor one day in the cup series and, uh, and everything in between. So going to keep uh, honing in on my, on my road course skills and doing some dirt stuff too. So, and, uh, and doing some road course stuff too. So as well as the dirt things as well, uh, kicking off, you know, the next few months too. So, uh, going to be hitting a lot of different things coming up and, and just working on myself, you know, trying to have an off season, try to always be in the car. I feel like it's really important. Were you racing like this past weekend in Bakersfield? Yeah, I was racing. Yeah. How'd you do? Uh, Bakersfield. Uh, we missed, I missed in qualifying and, and kind of had a reset for the next two at Merced. Those were the two final races. Um, and we were good at Merced on night one. We qualified third out of 56 cars. I think it was 55 cars, um, qualified third, uh, went to the heat race. They invert six, uh, went to start six in the heat race, got the fourth, got in the transfer, which is one of the hardest things with dirt racing and with USAC is when you have so many cars like that, there's, you know, 55 cars there and, you know, 35 of them are good. Right. So, um, six cars are the invert for each heat race, but you know, uh, the top 24 make the invert. So you have to be in the top 24 in qualifying, but there were some fast guys that also didn't make the invert too. So, um, you had to make sure you be transferred out of the heat. Uh, we did that, which was good. Um, and then we were going to line up fourth for the feature, uh, going to start fourth and went to fire off and, and, in the, the mufflers you run out in, in the West, uh, when we come out West, we have to run a, a muffler on the car and, uh, it creates a bunch of back pressure. And sometimes it causes it to uh, backfire a little bit when you start it. And we had to push off for the feature and it backfired and it bent the butterflies. So, um, we couldn't even get a lap in. So unfortunately mm-hmm. that kind of ended our night really early, but that's a bummer, especially with, you know, as much speed as we had all weekend, but, uh, one of those freak deals that you can't really control. So, um, you know, happened to Keith, uh, the KKM deal with Buddy last year at Merced, so or at uh, Bakersfield. So, uh, one of those weird deals, uh, but that kind of that ended our night early. But uh, would have been cool to see where we ended up that night. Can't control it. It is what it is. I'm also going to yeah. pretend that I understood like 25% of what you just said, <laughs> yeah. technically. So, I'll just pretend like I understood. I get it. I get it on a surface level, but digging deep like that. Nuh-uh. And uh, too, like I mean, I was just talking to you before we started recording. The last time that we were able to chat face to face was in February at the Vegas Bullring, which literally feels like ten years ago at this point. Um, and I was getting to know you then, and then everything kind of stopped cold turkey. So I want to get to know you a little bit more 
here and now as we're recording. So let's start all the way back. I read that you started racing when you were only five years old in quarter midgets. And <laughs> it's funny you say like all the way back there. For people that are listening that may not be too familiar with Jesse, he's 15 years old, which I think is frankly disgusting. That's ridiculous. Um, but you only started racing 10 years ago. You're 15 now. You're already an ARCA NASCAR sanctioned champion. But going back there, like, where did your interest come from from racing? Was it a familial thing? Did you take to it really early? When did this all start for you? Yeah, so my dad... He, his dad was kind of involved in racing too. And then my dad raced when he grew up, he did quarter midgets for a while. Back then he did quarter midgets, obviously longer than he would now, um, with the age rules being a lot, you know, older than they are now. Right. So he did a uh, uh, quarter midgets for a while. He actually grew up with Jeff Gordon. Um, they were really close friends growing up and, wow. uh, so that was, uh, that was kind of his deal. And then, you know, Jeff obviously went to do, you know, pretty, I've heard of know, him. You might've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously Jeff went on to, uh, you know, to be one of the best, you know, NASCAR drivers and ever. And my dad, uh, his, my dad's dad, my grandfather wanted him to do uh, law school instead. So, um, they stopped racing there and, and my dad, uh, he went on to become a lawyer and, and do all that stuff. So, um, obviously, you know, that was kind of where my interest peaked, I guess. And I've been around racing my whole life because of that. Uh, so I grew up with uh, my uncle racing, Tony Wiscocci. He used to race a lot. He still does actually, but he, uh, his daughters were in quarter midgets. So, um, obviously with him being my uncle, we were, you know, I was at, at a shop a lot. My dad was kind of doing some sprint car stuff. He kind of got back into it, started running some sprint car stuff uh, in California. And then, uh, I got into racing because of that. So, um, yeah, that was kind of what my kind of, I was just around racing for yeah. most of my you know young life. And, uh, right after that, you know, I just kind of got into it and started doing a lot of it. I'm intrigued by your dad's path. So let's start out with the law school thing first, because my parents are both lawyers and from an early age, I was like, yep, not for me. I'm not about that life. So has your dad ever told you, like, was he pissed off? Was he like, damn, I really just wanted to keep racing. Or is he kind of like, eh, is what it is, lawyer. I make good money. Enjoy my life, you know? Well, my dad, he obviously, obviously my grandfather uh, was a great man and, and he did a lot of, you know, respectable, awesome things with, with his life. So my dad had a lot of respect for him. And I would imagine that he kind of understood, you know, where my dad was coming from. And for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I, and it was just kind of one of those deals where it probably made more sense to do that. Uh, so I'm not too sure, but, uh, like you said, you know, I kind of got the lawyer and my dad a little bit. Sometimes I'll, I'll <laughs> get to arguing a little bit, but, uh, that was just kind of from my dad's, you know, my dad being a lawyer, but, yeah. um, he's not practicing anymore. So, uh, he just kind of, you know, folk really focused on my racing right now. And, um, but yeah, like you said, lawyer, not, not really for me. No, I agree. That must be cool though. Cause like, even though he didn't have a quote unquote career in racing, he still has that background of it and it's kind of like the backbone of everything that you guys do together, right? Because since you were doing it, since you were five years old, you guys have been doing it together. And I know that he goes to races as much as he can to be with you. So I know that it's not abnormal at all. I mean, it is the norm for fathers and sons to be together at the racetrack, but just to see his path and how I feel like when, when you see a lot of fathers with their sons that are young around your age, like today, it's almost like in a way they're living their life through you because I'm sure that your dad accomplished a lot and you already have. And I'm sure that when he sees you accomplish the things that you have at such a young age, not only is he proud of you, but he's saying to himself, you know what? Like he's living the life that I really wanted as well. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can sort of see that, you know, obviously you always want as a, as a father, um, you always want the best life you can for, for your kids. Right. So, um, he was always really straight up for me from the beginning. You know, he understands growing up with Jeff Gordon, obviously made him really understand, I guess, uh, Jeff's, uh, stepdad, John Bickford, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, really made Jeff Gordon, I guess, uh, form him, I guess you could yeah. say, um, my dad was around him a lot growing up and he kind of understood, you know, what it takes to, to make it to cup. Right. You know, it's, it's like harder than climbing Mount Everest, right? It, you know, it takes so long and there's so many different factors and 
you just gotta be, you gotta be on top of everything, but there's just a certain type of mindset that you have to have. And, and my dad was clear for me from the beginning. Like if, if this is a, what, not what I wanted to do, you know, for a split second, you know, then that's not what we're going to do. So, um, I always want to do it, you know, since I was a kid, you know, I was, I feel like I was a profession, a professional since I was, you know, 10 years old. Right. So yeah. I'm eight years old, 10 years old. So, um, you know, I never really did any other sports and, and I just kind of raced my whole life and, that was a big thing. And, and my dad, you know, he definitely wants the best life for his kids. My sister's happy as a clam. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she, obviously she's actually going to uh, college in High Point University. So, cool. you know, there's just a lot of different, you know, factors. And, and I can definitely see, you know, he's super happy to see, you know, his kid do something that uh, he wasn't able to do, I guess you could say. So, yeah, um, really cool. So he was good friends with Jeff Gordon growing up and John Bickford. Have you gotten the chance to meet Jeff face to face yet? Yeah, I met Jeff uh, a few times. I think the first time I ever met Jeff was at Calistoga uh, during the Sonoma weekend, Calistoga with the Louis yeah. Vermeil. Uh, I met him there and my dad, he and my dad talked a little bit and that was kind of cool, you know, to see them, you know, see each other after a long time of, of you know, being apart and, and not being able to see each other. So uh, that was super cool. And you know, I've been able to talk to Jeff and, and he's been, you know, mentor to me in a sense and and whenever i need something i can always ask him and um i talked to him before i think it was Fe yeah it was phoenix in the, in the spring i talked to him then and just about different things with you know phoenix in general and drafting and how the arrow works and everything like that and it definitely you know helped me out a lot and paid a lot of dividends uh when i got to phoenix and that was super cool and uh it's and i met john bigford as well and i've i've I feel like I've, I've talked to john more than i talked to jeff and uh, but John's been great and he's, uh, and the whole family, you know, they've all, um, you know, been great for the for the limited amount of time that, you know, you can talk to somebody like that with how busy Jeff is, of course. And, uh, definitely, you know, pays off really well. And he's, and it's definitely, you know, really rewarding when you even get to, you know, say that, you know, that person. So I'm jumping around a little bit here, but I, when I was doing my research, I think that this record still stands. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but are you still the youngest driver to win a full-size midget race? I think you were 12 or 13 at the time, and that was Jeff Gordon's old record? Yeah, I think Jeff got it when he was 14, um, and I got it, yeah, I think I was 13 when I first You one-upped him. Yeah. <laughs> Did you tell him that? Did you guys have some fun, witty banter when you broke that record? I'm not too sure. I think I, I think I, my dad talked to John about that, and... Uh, maybe, maybe my dad talked to Jeff a little, about, a little bit about it too, but, um, you know, Jeff Gordon's not the type of person you probably want to rub something in their face. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that. Um, speaking of growing up, I mean, you have like a ridiculous amount of accomplishments to list in your childhood growing up. I, I literally wrote in my notes, like there's too many to list. It's insane. Um, because on your website, like from when you were literally five years old until now, there's 10 years worth of championships, race wins, multiple different disciplines, multiple different series, cars, everything. So I'm just curious, like growing up racing as much as you did, where you did, how you did in all these different cars, vehicles, disciplines, like, did it ever seem mundane to you? Was it ever just going through the motions or every time you strapped in the car, it was something new. It was something different. It was something you could learn all the while you're less than 15 years old doing all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was one year I had last year, I had over 120 races on my schedule. That was my next question. Um, yeah. You know, that's just, that's, that's a pretty insane number. Um, you know, you see some guys try to do it. Obviously Brian, he tried to do like 200 in a year. Um, you know, unfortunately that got cut short and, and you see, you know, some of these guys that can, they can race so much and, and you want to be able to do that. Obviously you can hone your skills a lot more and, and you can get a lot more experience. Obviously when I'm going up and I'm trying to race against, especially in dirt where you're racing against so many, so much older people, like they're, you know, in their mid twenties, thirties, yeah. right. They've been doing it for so long. You kind of got to catch up and, and try to be different and try to be not the normal, you know, cut your teeth kind of kid. And so I've tried to do as many races as I could. Um, you know, maybe a little bit got burnt out, but, um, you know, you. it was never really like going through the motions, but I feel like it was just more, you know, every weekend you had to have the same, same thing going on and you have to, do, you have to make it a, 
you know, a regiment where you do, where you're doing the same thing. Right. So you can spot the differences, which are learning experiences, right. And going different tracks and, and lessons that you can learn notes that you can take all that stuff. So, um, you know, I try to race as much as I could and I definitely think it, uh, it definitely paid off and you're kind of catching up to the experience of, you know, the people that have been doing it a lot longer than you. So it's not that it's mundane. It's more so like I'm young I'm behind the game compared to the people I'm racing because they have years of experience on me. So I might as well race as much as I can, wherever I can, however I can to try to get the edge as much as I can on them. hundred percent. You know, and there's a few different things that you have to do to set yourself apart from everybody else. Uh, obviously it's important to base yourself off of people that are, that are your age. Right. Um, you know, you, you can't always compare up because then you don't, you don't put in, into, into the, equation in your mind right, right. of what you know the amount of years and experience and all that stuff that people have that are above you right so um you have to and obviously with me like i do so many different you know disciplines right i grew up riding pavement of course i didn't go the micro route or the outlaw cart route and stuff like that i just i did that and i went straight and do you know pavement midgets you know in stock cars all on pavement right i kind of faded away from dirt. I, I always did like probably about eight to at the most 12 dirt races a year, but nothing to really, you know, keep me going and always moving forward. It was always okay. just, you know, keeping me sharp on dirt. So, so were you, you know, focused more on asphalt stuff growing up then, or was it more dirt? Yeah. Okay. No, I was definitely more focused on asphalt. Um, obviously my goal was, was to run NASCAR my whole life. And with dirt, you know, that was what I had, you know, all my respect for, I guess you could say growing up, you know, dirt was kind of the biggest, you know, that was like the coolest thing to me. You know, I grew up watching guys like Tanner Thorson and Spencer Baston, you know, watching older videos of, you know, guys like Jay Drake or Jason Leftworth from the, the older videos and the newer guys like Thorson and all them. Uh, you know, watching them do things where like growing up, you know, Thorson was kind of like my idol on, on dirt. So uh, you, know, you have a few different things that you want to achieve in different disciplines. And uh, dirt was something that I really wanted to, I still want to be, you know, one of the best at. And uh, that's kind of, you know, I have a lot of emotion with, with dirt and, and I have a lot of respect for it. So you have to run as many races as you can to be able to do two different disciplines or three different disciplines with road mm -hmm. course and pack it all into one year where some people are just trying to do one. Right. That, that totally makes sense. So I, my, my info was wrong then wherever I got it, because I thought that you were actually more focused on the dirt stuff for the last 10 or so years. And the asphalt transition has been more of a new thing, but cause I knew you did some late model stock racing, you know, throughout the years, but I was going to ask like when you had your eye on stock car racing, but it seems like it was pretty early on in the process that you knew that you wanted to get to NASCAR and make a career there. And you were going to be in heavy body stock cars for the foreseeable future. For sure. Obviously growing up, um, you know, where my dad knew Jeff Gordon, NASCAR was kind of like the, the picture, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I knew I wanted to do NASCAR and, I wanted to be somebody like Christopher Bell or Kyle Larson, um, you know, growing up watching what Christopher and Kyle do is, yep. you know, is what I want to be able to do, right. Where I can go and run a dirt race, run a pavement race, win the chili bowl or Turkey night, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and do all these things where it's just like, and then go to be able to win a NASCAR race. You know, that's just, you're on a different level of, of drivers at that point. Obviously yeah. Christopher and Kyle came from dirt to pavement. I'm trying to go dirt and then be good at pay, or from pavement and try to be good at dirt too. Right. So, um, I grew up obviously ten, five years of quarter midgets. After that, I started to do like restricted focus midgets, uh, which is like a speed two midget, but that was primarily on pavement. Um, and then the next year I did the same thing, but unrestricted uh, speed two midget, which was um, primarily on pavement as well. And then sprinkled in like a few dirt uh, speed two midget races. But my focus was always on pavement while dirt was kind of just staying sharp in it and trying to like develop myself there too. Yeah. Um, but it was always like probably 70% pavement and then, you know, 30% gotcha. dirt, uh, where, and keep in mind, 20 races on dirt is not a lot. You know what I mean? Like 20 all. races on pavement is a decent amount. 
um, you know, you go around 20 pavement races a year. That's, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of on average with everybody 20 else. Dirt races is like maybe a month and a half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I know some guys like, I think Dayson personally, he probably ran like 60 midget races last year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, which is, you know, a big number. And, and then you're trying to do, so obviously I can't do that with the amount of pavement races that I have. So, um, the pavement was always the priority and I, but I've always, my, I guess you could say my focus was always on pavement. That was like the, the business, like that's where I need to go. Mm-hmm. And then, but the dirt for me is, is what I wanted to, uh, that's like my emotional, you know, it's like, quote, I guess you could almost. say that's what I, you know, aspire to be able to do yeah. something like what Kyle and Christopher are doing. So the dirt's kind of like your release. It's like your quote unquote golf game for the people that, you know, they want to get out and, and without getting away from doing what they love, this is where their heart really lies. And it seems like your heart, while it's on the asphalt for sure, because that's what you do for the majority of the time, mm-hmm. dirt is where you can just go full send, let it all hang out and not really worry about anything. 100%. Dirt for me is just, uh, it's something that I like, I want to be able to do at the best, like, and be one of the best, you know, so bad. So, um, it's tough doing both, but it's uh, something that it's going to take me a little bit longer to develop on, on, mm-hmm. on both sides. Right. Because I'm not hundred percent doing one or hundred percent doing the other. And then bouncing back and forth is like, you know, is, is super hard. Right. So, um, that's, you know, kind of where I stand is, you know, I, I want to be able to do what, you know, Christopher and Kyle and Jeff and Tony Stewart, all those guys are able to do. Is there any specific skill set that you think transfers well from asphalt to dirt or vice versa? Because there's a lot of people that watch Kyle, watch Christopher and saw Jeff and Tony back in the day and said, oh, wow, like watching him at Homestead reminds me of watching him, you know, sending it to turn one and just like ripping on a dirt track up top. Is is there any specific crossover that you can point to in your individual experience? Or do you think that they're too different that it's not really too comparable? There's a few things for like, for one, you know, seat time to seat time. Right. So that's one thing that you have to, that everybody has to understand is like seat time is seat time. So laps or laps are all important as long as they're, you know, quality, good laps and they're putting mm-hmm. effort into them. But as far as like pavement to dirt, there's really not much except the fact that I feel like there's a few things that pavement hurts on dirt. Um, there might be a few things that I'm not, that I'm not really, you know, consciously thinking about, right. But I do see with going from dirt to pavement there, you know, there's a lot of things that do help. Right. So, um, you're able to drive, you know, a lot more tire slip than, than most other drivers. You can drive a looser car. Um, you're thinking a, l- a little bit faster things on pavement compared to things on dirt are just like, you know, so completely different. Like yeah. you're thinking in a split second on dirt where pavement, you're like talking to yourself, you're like running, you can run like different scenarios through your head before you make a decision. Right. So, um, you can like set up a pass on pavement on dirt. If you see a hole there, you go for it right then. hundred percent, you know, qualifying, for example, like at uh, Merced, I was qualifying in the sprint car and, uh, you know, you're thinking so fast and and you're making a split decision. Like where do I want to be where, you know, you don't make really the decision for what you're going to do on lap three until you're like coming to lap three because say you're running the top and but you think you just ran two good laps and the bottom looks good and and you saw somebody run the bottom and then you're going to think to yourself okay i'm going to go to the bottom right now um and try to you know hook that and and maybe get a good lap out of it or diamond it off from the top to the bottom and um but you really don't know until you're it's it's all about like kind of flying in the seat of your pants on Mm -hmm. dirt where pavement you're just thinking a lot more and and doing all that stuff that you would imagine you'd be doing on pavement. So um, there's a few good things that you can take from dirt to pavement. And I think, but you definitely have to distinguish the two and not take a bad thing from dirt to pavement. Um, And then from pavement to dirt, there's not a whole lot. I'm sure there's a few things, but um, as far as mindset goes, but not really, I I think there's more things on pavement that can hurt you on dirt that you have to make sure you don't bring back. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. So let's talk about the midget side of stuff. I know that Keith Coons Motorsport, like straight up, I told you at the beginning, I didn't understand like 75% of the things you said technically about the car. I also am an asphalt guy. I'm a NASCAR guy. I know next to nothing about dirt, but I do know enough to know that Keith Coons Motorsports is the top of the top, right? I've been to a couple races in my life. 
and I've seen Keith Coons Motorsports dominate every single one of them. So that is like the best of the best team when it comes to dirt midgets. How often do you race with that specific team? Because I know, as we mentioned, there's a bunch of different disciplines and your schedule can fill up pretty quickly with certain engagements. So with KKM specifically, like how often are you able to race with those guys? I think I'd probably run about 20 races a year okay. uh, with Keith, um, which again is not a whole lot on dirt with a lot of them being like three races in a weekend, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing for me is that I like the three races in a weekend deal. Um, I, there was, I think, three or f- like probably about five races ago, there was a weekend at I-44 where bef- on Friday, sorry, on Thursday, we went to Port City and, uh, and it kind of takes me a little bit to kind of get my groove coming back from pavement, running a lot of pavement, coming back to dirt. Um, so it kind of takes me a day to kind of, not a day, but kind of takes me a little bit to get back going there. And then I can kind of get more comfortable and, and all that stuff where you just kind of got to, you know, shake everything off. And then at the end of it, you know, we almost won an I-44. Uh, we let a lot of laps and, and, and got away from us. We ended up running third in that race, but uh, that's one thing for me is just having the back-to-back races are really important, but unfortunately it's just, you're not really getting a lot of weekends and you're just getting a lot of races in sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, I get to run a decent amount with them, not as much as I would like, um, with all, you know, the other things I'm doing, but, uh, definitely a good amount of races. There's a lot of big names that are over there at Keith Coons Motorsports, just to name a few former truck series driver Rico Abreu, Cannon McIntosh is there. Uh, you mentioned Buddy Kofoid a couple times. Kyle Larson, I know, spent some time over there as well. Those are really, really big names. And I know the hardcore NASCAR people listening may not know a lot about some of those drivers, but if you're a race fan, you've definitely heard of them. And if you're a dirt fan, you know that those are like very accomplished drivers. So being 15, you're obviously still learning every single time you strap behind the wheel. Are you able to lean on any of those drivers specifically or any that I didn't mention in any other disciplines that you compete in? And if so, like, who do you lean on? What do you talk to them about? How have they gone like out of their way to help you out with everything? Because I know that the racing community, everybody helps everybody. And you specifically learning every single day is very key. 100%. Um, for me, like growing up at, or kind of coming up through the ranks at KKM, like I grew up or I started out with uh, Dason personally as, as my teammate or not my teammate. Well, he is my teammate, but not like my one teammate. Obviously, he was yeah. the one that I kind of like related to the most because we were both young. We were both 14 when we started out with Keith and um, he's 16 now, I'm 15, but we started out pretty young and I was able to kind of grow up running with him and, and he's got obviously a lot more races than me now. So um, I can definitely lean on him when I'm at the track and, and he's always helped me out, um, especially Cannon too. You know, me and Cannon have grown to be, you know, pretty good friends. And um, whenever I have a question, I can always come to him. And But there's also a lot of people that, you know, are kind of behind the scenes at KCAM that don't really get enough recognition. You know, mm-hmm. obviously Jay Drake is over there. Anybody that knows anything about dirt knows Jay Drake. And, um, you know, Jay, he's always there to help out and, you know, coach us through and, and answer our questions. Obviously, you know, he's one of the best, you know, dirt drivers that there ever will be. Right. So, um, you know, you can always go to him and, and ask him some help for some help. And uh, Chuck Gurney, obviously, or, you know, Chucky, he used to race and everybody there has so much experience. They know how to help you and they know, um, you know, what you need to do. And but you have to put in the work, you know, to be able to go up there and ask them these questions and and try to get as much, you know, information you can from everybody so you can, you know, develop yourself and, and get them the results that they deserve. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different drivers on, on dirt that are really good. So you have to, uh, you can ask them all, you know, questions and most of them will, will kind of shoot you straight. So, um, you know, they all do a great job and it's definitely a really good team effort this year at KKM. Everybody did a phenomenal job. And I know that your teammate at BMR, Holly Holland, also is a teammate with of yours over there. So who followed who over to, to Arca? Like, did Holly follow you? Did you follow her? Who was first here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, I just, I don't, it's kind of a Toyota thing where, yeah. um, you know, she kind of, it kind of made sense for maybe her to go run some Arca, Arca stuff. And then yeah. uh, for me, it was East or West. But if I go to the East, then I'll be running East for like three years until I'm old enough to run trucks. So, right. you know, we just kind of want to keep things fresh and, made sense for me to go run run the arca west stuff and uh and we did that and then 
uh, you know, Holly, Holly did a good job at the tests and, uh, and she, you know, did a good job and, and, and got her way into uh, the ARCA stuff as well. So, uh, you know, Toyota race development does a great job at uh, getting everybody in the right spots that they need to be and giving everybody a fair shot to, uh, to prove themselves. What did you think this summer as um, everybody in the racing community, myself included, was just in awe watching what Kyle Larson was doing like every single night, it seemed like tearing it up. I, I would wake up, like turn on my phone, go on Twitter and see Kyle Larson won again. That's 39 out of 42 races. And it's just like, this guy's a machine. Like he, he does not stop. What were you thinking that whole time? Cause you were competing with him for some of them. Yeah. You know, obviously with the last few, uh, USAC races, I was competing against him and I ran against him a little bit last year and some sprint car stuff too. Um, you know, with, with Kyle, he's just, I don't understand. Nobody really understands it. You know, everybody, <laughs> every year, it seems to be a different, you know, style of, of driver that really seems to dominate sprint car racing. Um, you see, a de- you see a bunch of different driving styles too. Um, Aaron Reitzel has his Kyle obviously has the Kyle, whatever he's doing. And, um, Donnie shots has his Donnie thing and Brad's got his Brad thing, hot and child, <laughs> you know, all these different people, they have their things where they do really well. And, Kyle's definitely hit on something. Kyle's always been good. You know, he, you know, he's always been, you know, one of the best and he, but he's been doing a lot of payment stuff too. So, um, you know, when a, when a driver that's doing two different disciplines gets to focus completely on one, uh, they do a lot better. So yeah, Kyle's done a great job. Obviously he's, he's back in NASCAR and he's done a great job, uh, with, you know, handling some of the situate with all the situations and, um, obviously he's proved himself back on dirt and he never really had to prove anything. Everybody knew it was Kyle Larson. So yeah. uh, it's just cool seeing what Kyle does. You know, I was, while I was watching the, I was watching qualifying with him at uh, Bakersfield and, uh, and he was just quiet, you know, we were like, we were looking at race monitor and then, you know, I was wondering, I was like, kind of, I was trying to think like, I wonder what he's going to do. Right. He's like looking at something, he's looking at this. And then I go out, run my lap, I ran a good lap and, um, clocked in a good time and then he goes out and he's just four above it like doing his kyle thing and you're just like (laughs) my goodness so um that's just kyle he's doing a great job and and he's uh that's one of those things where you know it'll a a season like that on dirt might never be matched again yeah and i think he hit like 43 or something crazy some crazy number in one season uh, (laughs) yeah it's 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 pretty incredible so uh, it's definitely something else when Kyle shows up, you always want to beat him. And he's kind of the one that it's always an added, you know, something when he's there that you always want to go out and, and do better than you did last time to, yeah. uh, to try and take that away from him. You ever able to pick his brain at all? Cause like you said, I mean, when he shows up, you know, that everybody's probably going to be fighting for second. hundred percent. I mean, you know, you don't really want to look at that, look at it, look at it like that. Uh, when he shows up, you don't, yeah want to give him the you know the aurora of he's just gonna win you know you want to take that from him and if it wasn't like that then dirt wouldn't be as hard wouldn't be as hard as it is right now it makes it more special uh, when he shows up though because he, he brings that cachet with him 100 percent uh he definitely does and that's one thing is that you almost want to you always feel like you drive i feel like i would almost drive harder when like i see kyle out there because yeah. you just you just want to beat him right he's just he's one of the best and and, he, and like everybody, you know, you always want to beat him. And um, Kyle's, you know, hard to beat right now. And obviously, uh, you have to work harder to, to be able to beat him. So, dirt itself is just so competitive right now with the car counts being so high and the amount of people that are so good, right? There's like 50 cars will show up and 40 of them will be good. You know, the B main will be a feature anywhere else, right? It's, it's insane. So, um, you know, I definitely got to talk to Kyle about some stuff and ask him a few questions. And, uh, you know, I, I doubt he'll ever give you 100%, you know, what he's doing. But um, Kyle is obviously, you know, so smart at Dur and he's been doing such a good job that uh, every chance you get, you always want to talk to him and try to ask him some, as many questions as you can be yeah. uh, asking him. All right, last question about the Dirt side of things before we get into ARCA and NASCAR. I have no idea how i didn't know this i don't know if it's more of a thing in the dirt community and they know this but i feel like nobody in nascar does your website says that your nickname is the hammer how did i not know about this i don't know i mean i feel like a lot of people do know that but um, Maybe i'm just stupid then i don't know 
I don't know. I mean, it's just uh, that kind of came about when I was a kid running cord midgets and um, I'd always kind of just be wide open and, and be on the hammer. And that's just kind of one of those things where I love it. Like it's like a, a thing in racing, just being on the hammer. Of course. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love it though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, pin a 15 year old who's a Cali bro as the hammer, but when they see you on track, I mean, I guess, I guess that works. How did you get the nickname? Like, did somebody give it to you? Was it a track announcer? Like, how did that happen? I think it was my, it was one of my dad's friends, John Gerber. He just kind of said it one time before I rolled out for like qualifying and it yeah. just kind of stuck. I don't, that's just what I've been told. Obviously, I don't really remember that much being that young, but those are the best. It was a while ago. It that. just happens. All right, let's get to some NASCAR stuff and ARCA specifically. So, as we touched on, people may know you as the 2020 ARCA West champion, youngest ever in series history, by the way. But when we were talking at Vegas Bullring in February, um, it was the first time that I got to meet you. And I knew that going into the year, you know, you were going to be a threat for the championship because Bill McAnally Racing, championship organization. And the fact of the matter is, with the state of the West Series being as it is, it's pretty much BMR, Sunrise, and everybody else, right? And with BMR having a pretty much entirely new stable of cars, you know, everybody was starting from square one, so to speak. So you're in the best stuff, right? You knew you would be competitive, but going into the year, did you think that you would be a favorite to win the championship? Did you think that you were going to be able to win multiple times or did your expectations change as the year went on? No, I mean, I've I've said this a few times where I kind of knew, I knew for a fact that I was going to be the champion kind of like before, before Vegas even started. Um, Really? Yeah, that was just one of those things with me is that yeah. I know that I was going to outwork everybody and, and I knew kind of what everybody else was doing. And I just I knew from the get go uh, what the deal was and, and that I was the favorite. And just I had to establish myself as that, um, you know, by saying whatever I had to say or, you know, working and, and how, how hard I needed to work and all that stuff. And then going further than that um, and then going out and win, winning races and, and you know, presenting myself as the favorite to win and then things just kind of fall your fall your way I guess you could say but um yeah I, I just I don't know why I just kind of knew I knew what the situation was before before it even started and and I feel like it worked out really really well obviously so I would say uh, so <laughs> you know that's how I go into things I know whatever I'm gonna do next year I'll be the champion as well so um that's uh, that's how I work and that's how I uh present myself damn I gotta say, you got you got a lot of confidence. <laughs> I don't know if I could could go into anything with the confidence that you have. So you're telling me literally before the first race of the year, everybody's tied. You had never run an Arca West race in your life. You knew that you were going to be the champion. Yep, pretty much. I mean, that's how it was, and and, uh, and I feel like the reason that I was as dominant as I was this year was because I had that mentality when nobody nobody else did. Damn, good for you, man. <laughs> I, I i'm telling you i i think for a fact we can say that there's not a lot of people that have that mindset or that mentality but good on you for having it and as we said it clearly worked out pretty well so let's go to the boring and i and i know you've talked about this a little bit you finished second in that race to sam mayer but he obviously won the arc east championship and did his thing this year won a truck race as well so he was also in the best stuff at gms racing right so you finished second, but that's ahead of all your West competitors. So I know that leaving that race, I remember the interview that we did together, like even though you didn't win, you were feeling really good about things because now we know going in, you were immensely confident. But leaving there, it was reaffirmed to you that, you know what, look, like we are the class of the field. I can get this done in terms of over my West components here. Like you were feeling pretty good exiting Vegas and going on to the rest of the year. For sure. For me, it was, uh, you know, I knew that same was going to be tough. Everybody knows how good that car is and Mm -hmm. how smart Marty Lindley, the crew chief is and how good the whole GMS organization just is. Um, you know, Sam, obviously he has a lot of laps too around, uh, around the boring. And I knew that he was going to be tough to beat. Uh, I feel like we laid a lap in qualifying and he got us there and, um, which I was surprised because it wasn't, it didn't look like that good of a lap and Mm -hmm. I thought we had it there, but, um, you know, I knew it was going to be tough to beat him, and I knew I had to try to rattle him on restarts or do something. And we definitely we got the jump, which was which was pretty cool, and, and, and got to lead some laps and take the lead away from him, which was important for me and important to uh, to kind of, you know, make a little bit of a statement there. Yeah. 
Um, you did. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was pretty cool. So uh, while it might, might not have ended the way we wanted to, we, we knew why we faded a little bit in the race at the end of the race. So, um, you know, that was important. And also, you know, we kind of figured out who else is going to be pretty good. I wasn't sure that Blaine was going to be good for the rest of the season um, with, you know, how he got going at, uh, at Vegas, but he definitely, you know, stepped it to the plate and, and did a decent job this year. Speaking of uh, getting off to a good start, then you go a couple weeks later to Utah. You win on a road course. Had you ever had, like, extended experience for a long-ish race on a road course leading up to there, or was that your first time? So, not, no, not a lot of people know this about me, but I did do road course in the winter uh, in Vegas. It was always an eight-race series over the stretch of four weeks um, during the winter. So, obviously, it's not like I grew up doing it, not like I, you know, ever focused on it that hard, or not, it was never, like, my 100% focus, but... Okay. I did, you know, I do have some road course experience. Um, nothing insane, probably just, you know, 16 to 20 races, I guess. All right. My whole life. So um, that kind of, you know, gave me a little bit of confidence. But exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I go into the race, you know, every weekend thinking the same thing. That's interesting because a lot, I, I guarantee you, a lot of your competitors there, they were either going to Utah for the first time, they were racing on a road course for the first time. And we saw pretty quickly, like, again, you had the car to do it, and, and the skills obviously were not diminished at all from, from doing those races as well because you won there. How was the Utah road course specifically? Like, how was that compared to any other courses that you'd been on in your career? Well, I'd only been on two different tracks on road course. I've been on Sonoma, like, twice, um, just kind of testing and doing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then I was on the Vegas road course. So Utah's more similar to Vegas the Vegas road course. So, um, that kind of helped out a little bit, but you know, it was one of those deals where I knew that race and Irwindale were going to be my hardest to win the whole year. Um, hmm. and Phoenix, because obviously Blaine Perkins kind of grew up doing go-karts and stuff like that. That was kind of his deal growing up. And then, yeah. then you have the Chris Wright kid coming over for Jefferson Pitts and, and, and the road course car. Um, well, Rogers uh, was there too. Yeah. He, Yep, and then Will Rogers was there too, so he's obviously needs no introduction on road course. So I had my work cut out for me, but um, but I didn't let it uh, change how I came about the weekend. Got her done. So you mentioned Irwindale. You got to win there. You got to win at Colorado as well. I think you said in a prior interview that you had the best car of maybe not just your NASCAR and ARCA career, but racing in general. Like that car you had at Colorado, I think you said was lights out. What made it so good? I don't know. I mean, Travis Sharp, that was kind of his first race in the box for me mm -hmm. um, after kind of a, 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 of a mix up after Evergreen and, and Roseburg. Uh, Travis kind of stepped up and, and, you know, worked his magic and gave me just, you know, a rocket ship. I mean, that thing was that thing was pretty spot, pretty spot on. And and uh, we dominated that thing. I think, you know, half the race I was going like 50 percent and they were like, you can slow down. And I'm like, I am like slowing down and it's just <laughs> and it keeps on speeding up and uh that was a, a def, definitely a dominant car and and a definitely a good turning point in our season because we had two races where we, we weren't the best and we finished fourth and or fourth and fourth or fourth and third so mm -hmm. we needed to change our stuff around get back on track and we did that which was really good and um definitely gave us a lot of confidence going into the rest of the year something about the 19 car and winning at colorado i don't know what it is Mm -hmm. <laughs> at least you didn't need to move your teammate out of the way to do it <laughs> that's always a plus well, speaking yeah. of speaking of Haley Deegan though I, I did notice after you won the title at Phoenix um, one of your like first remarks was something along the lines of you know people came into the year and they knew me as that guy who replaced Haley Deegan but now hopefully they can know me as Jesse Love ARCA West champion did you yeah, feel did you feel like slighted by that at all did you feel any extra added pressure like take me through that not really. I just, I knew what I was going to do before the year started. So it was just kind of one of those things where I keep hearing like people would walk up to me and be like, isn't this Haley, like, is this Haley Deegan's car? Oh da, da, da. And like 15 times. And I'm like, no, it's Jesse Love's car. What does it look like, like? look at the Who's name above on? the door. Yeah. Whose name is on it? So it just kind of, it was kind of a joke. And I said it jokingly. Um, yeah. Obviously, when people type it out, you know, you can't tell if they're being joked, okay. if yeah. they're joking or not. But, um, no, just that was just kind of one of those things where in the beginning of the year, I feel like I was just kind of, 
I, one announcer actually referred to me as Jesse Love, who has taken over Haley Deegan's car from last year. And I was like, oh, that, man, that's great. Um, so to go out there and win three times and win the championship uh, was also pretty cool. And hopefully now it's uh, Jesse Love's car. <laughs> it is confirmed. I can, I can confirm that. So champion, three wins. You led the series in average finish, average start, laps completed, laps led. And oh, by the way, you won rookie of the year. Dude, you freaking clean house. Like, I, I know going into the year, you were expecting to win the title, but did you expect to have as dominant of a season as you did, winning all of those different things and leading in pretty much every statistical category? Yeah, I mean, don't take it the I know wrong you're going to say yes, too. That's the crazy thing. Don't take it the wrong way, but I expected to have a, a better year than I did. Um, going into the year, I wanted to win more races than I did. I wanted to, you know, lead more laps than I did and do all that stuff, so... It's kind of one of those things where when we were good, you know, we were always winning races and we, when we had some freak weird things happen, that was kind of what hurt our, you know, our average position a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, I would have liked to win one, I would have liked to one win more races, whatever. I don't know what I was thinking. There. Um, <laughs> English is tough today, but, uh, yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, we definitely got the job done and, and, and made the most out of a year and obviously 2020 being 2020, uh, I think it uh, it turned out pretty well, and, and my BMR guys did a did a great job, and and Bill gave us uh, what we needed to win. All right, be honest with me. Um, I listening to you talk and the confidence that you're exuding, I take you as the guy that hates losing ten times more than you enjoy winning. Is that the case, or am I wrong? I keep hearing people say that, and then like my spotter Brandon Lines uh, for the super late stuff, he had that on his Twitter bio, and I. And I saw it once and I was like, I feel like I like winning more than I like, or more than I hate losing or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. And then I lost at, where did I lose at? I lost at uh, Kern. At Kern, we put it on the pole and then uh, we were lights out fast. I think the 17 were pretty good lap in qualifying, but nowhere near our race pace speed. And then we had break, we had a brake failure, failure leading the race. And then that just killed our whole night. And then from that point on, you know, we were just trying to like hang on and get as many points as we could because the nine car was having a good night. Yeah. And I was, and I got home that night and I was like, you know what? I think I do hate losing more than I like winning. I mean, that was just, that was heartbreaking. And, um, you know, one of those things where I like, I like winning, you know, I love winning. Um, I also don't like losing. So I don't know which one I put on a pedestal more, but you know, definitely winning's uh, my thing. Well, it goes both ways. When you when you win, you like winning more than you hate losing, and then when you lose, you hate losing more than you like winning. It's a catch twenty two, you know. For sure. Having the Toyota support, we talked about them earlier on, and how you know you and Holly both went to BMR the same year, and you know Toyota being the behemoth manufacturer that they are, and they've come into NASCAR guns a blazing, and only the past few years have they really hit their peak, and they've stayed there for a long time. But I feel like being within that specific developmental program, that's got to be invaluable for a driver. How did that relationship with Toyota form between you guys? So for me, I grew up um, when I first started doing the junior late model stuff out in California. Mm -hmm. I kind of started to get familiar with Toyota and they kind of started to get familiar with me. And then all my idols like Thorson and and Macedo and all the dirt guys, right? They're walking around with these, you know, Toyota on their chest and I'm like that's what I want to do and uh, and then looking at them run for Keith and Keith being a Toyota powerhouse team I was like I want to get with these guys and um actually fun like kind of a backstory my first ever Toyota suit my red suit um was was supposed to you know look as close to or as similar as uh, Carson Mestito's suit uh for KKM so uh, just a little backstory but um Yeah, I feel like I always knew that I wanted to be with Toyota um, since I kind of got familiar with them. Uh, Toyota at that time was kind of becoming the biggest thing in racing, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. And uh, and I was with Toyota since I was like 13 or something crazy like that. Uh, 12 or 13. So I was the youngest ever to be with Toyota. And then uh, little did I know how great of a family that Toyota Racing Development is. Um, you know, they do you know, a phenomenal job and and I'm so grateful for them. And, and the best thing about Toyota is that they will 
work as hard as you work. Right. So, you know, for me, I do, you know, everything I can to, uh, to give toy to the most confidence in me. And I feel like, uh, they always, you know, have given me everything I needed to succeed. And, um, you know, I just can't make all of everybody there enough, like Jack and Tyler and Trent, um, you know, everything that they've done for me is, is, you know, remarkable and I can't make them enough. So youngest ever developmental driver with Toyota. I didn't know that. You I'm, I'm pretty that. sure. I mean, I was like 12 or 13. I was like, I was pretty much like walking around like a toddler at that point. So I'd imagine. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, but I feel like you gotta really. take some pride in that though. That's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. It just goes to show like the relationship I have with Toyota. Um, yeah. you know, everything that they've done for me is so cool. And, and I don't plan on, on leaving them for anybody else anytime soon. So I know that a lot of guys that, that go from dirt to asphalt and they kind of flip flop and switch throughout the years, you know, Kyle Larson is on the record as saying one year he wants to do a full world of outlaw schedule and win the championship there. And he's been on record saying he wanted to win the chili bowl so bad. Finally got that done. We were talking before we started recording, you're going to be at the chili bowl later this winter. So that's got to be exciting. My question to you though, is I know you want a full-time long career in NASCAR specifically. Would you be willing to like give up some of what you do on dirt? Because we've seen like, for example, Hendrick Motorsports, right? You know, Rick Hendrick's not super keen on letting his drivers race on dirt from a safety perspective. If it came down to it, which hopefully it never does, would you be willing to give up that side of things for you in order to pursue a real-time, big-time cup career in NASCAR? Or is that a deal breaker for you? For me, that's not something that I really have a an answer for right now, I guess. You got some time um, to decide. I'll give you that. Yeah, I mean, Toyota, with them being Toyota, it's kind of one of those things where they're so involved with dirt, they'd obviously understand more than, Absolutely. than other manufacturers. So, um, you know, I just, I, dirt's such a big part of my life. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not where I want to be yet, but, uh, you know, I just want to keep on working to uh, be the best that I can in that. And, uh, you know, I've come a long way this year and, and, we're to the point where I'm almost winning races and, and almost oh. won a power race this year. And we've been on the podium this year. So, um, you know, I just got to keep on, uh, on hunting my skills in that. And, uh, I think with Toyota being such a, you know, being so prominent in dirt as well, I don't know if I'm not sure what their stance is on it, but I don't think that they would have somebody, you know, stop running dirt. I don't, I don't really see that. Yeah. I think actually now that I said that out loud, Moving forward, I feel like if anything, it's going to go the opposite way and everything's going to become from a team owner's perspective, like more lenient and maybe people will be encouraged to race more on dirt and do different disciplines. Because as you said, especially being as young as you are, seat time is seat time and that's invaluable as well. So the more you can race, the better off you'll be for it. And that's what you've been doing. And Bristol dirt and, and Knoxville trucks are, are a exactly. pretty big thing. So you kind of got to be good at those too. You, do, exactly. you definitely have to be. A good point. All right, you've given me a lot of time. I really do appreciate it. I got a couple more for you. You know, hearing you talk, if I didn't know that you were 15 years old, if I couldn't see your baby face right now, like I would not think that you're 15. You, you seem honest, and I'm not blowing smoke here. Like you, you do seem very mature, wise beyond your years. How old do you feel? Like, do you feel like a 15 year old that's still in high school, just chilling with your friends every day? Not in a pandemic, of course. But do you feel that way, or do you feel like you're older and wiser? I feel like I'm like tw I feel like I'm like 24 sometimes. I don't know why. So you feel like you're like, me, basically. Maybe I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, I made a big step last year where like I haven't really seen my friends as much and haven't really, you know, at Halloween I just stayed home. I didn't want to. I didn't go out and do anything on Halloween. I just stayed home and and you know watched you know the Phoenix race from last year and, and got my mind ready for that. So. Obviously, I'm not the average 15-year-old, but at the same time, I'm still a 15-year-old, and it definitely gives me, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, pride and encouragement to say that I'm 15 and that I, I am where I am right now, and I have so many years to develop where, Absolutely. you know, I still feel 15. I'm still 15 years old, so it's just good that you have uh, as much time as I have to develop myself, and, and that's a good thing to say, too. You know, I have a lot of time to keep getting better and, uh, and you know, definitely – Puts, puts a smile on my face when I get to think about where I'm going to be in a few different, in like 10 more years. You no know doubt. I mean? So let's talk about that for a second. Give me your five, your 10 year plan down the road when it's ridiculous to say in 10 years, you'll be about my age. When you're 25, 20 years old, where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? For me, um, 
you know, I'm a Christian, so I, I believe that uh, God has a better plan for me than I do for myself. But um, right now for me, I'm just going, you know, wherever, you know, Lord leads me to. And, and that's just kind of one, one thing for me where I've, you know, a lot of, I'm very fortunate, very grateful to have um, as many p- great people kind of developing me and, and guiding me where I need to be. And, um, you know, I have a lot of trust in those people, of course, and my dad and everybody at Toyota, where I know that they'll point me in the right direction and uh, put me on the straight and narrow. So um, I'm going to go wherever, wherever they, wherever the people that I've, my dad's chosen to lead me to, um, wherever they lead me to, that's where I'm going to go. And, and I'm going to work as hard as I can to, uh, to be the best wherever I do go. That was a very good race car driver answer, I must say. All right, uh, 2021, last thing for me here. You're probably not going to tell me what you're doing. That's fine. But give us a little bit of a sneak preview. Do, can we expect to see you doing some more Arca West stuff, some more dirt stuff, I would assume? I know you're going to be racing a ton, and it's going to be on dirt. It's going to be on asphalt. Give me a little bit here. What can we see you doing next year? What can the fans expect? Yeah, next year I'll be uh, I'll be subbing in for Kyle Busch at, uh, for, for the rest of the Cup cup season breaking news you heard it here first breaking news yeah no uh next <laughs> year you know i can't announce what i'm gonna be doing next uh but i'll be doing definitely a lot more stock car stuff and um some more dirt stuff too so um you know i can't say what i'm gonna be doing but i'll definitely be doing uh you know be making some some more good steps forward and and i'm looking forward to uh, hopefully announcing that pretty soon Another great race car driver answer, but we'll look forward to seeing you behind the wheel of the 18 Joe Gibbs racing Toyota Camry in the cup series next year. Yep. Jesse. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, nah, it's been fun, man. I, I appreciate the time. As I said, I, I was looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better this year, but then the pandemic just brought a, brought a halt to all that stuff. But I appreciate you carving out some time for me here today. I, I learned a lot more about you 24 year old and a 15 year old's body. Um, and I, I hope everybody listening learn, learn some more too. So Jesse, thanks for your time, my man. Enjoy the off season. You got any fun plans? Are you going anywhere doing anything? I'm actually going to Mexico here in a few days. So I'm pretty uh-huh. pumped about that. Arriba. Yeah. I like going <laughs> to Mexico, surfing, doing some cool stuff like that. That's always a blast. So, um, looking forward to that and kind of just, uh, you know, getting ready for, for what's to come. You do look like a surfer, dude. Just got to say Menlo Park's finest. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right, Jesse, thank you for the time, my man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Have a good one. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with the newly minted Arca West champion, Jesse Love. He is very mature for his age, for sure. I I was listening as we were going on, and I was wowed by, A, the confidence that he had going into the year, and just in general behind the wheel, and B, his maturity for being a 15-year-old. I mean, when I had Taylor Gray on, he's 17 and he, he acted like a 17 year old. And that's no, like, you know, that that's not a negative or anything. I expected that. And I want that because I love seeing kids live their lives and act their age. But Jesse just had a different vibe to him. I think it may have been cause he's from California. He's cool. He's calm. He's collected. He's mellow. You know what I mean? But something about Jesse just screams. I'm not 15 years old, but when you look at him, you think, yes. When you watch him drive, you think, no. But anyways, it was great talking with Jesse. Really appreciate his time. And Kevin Green, everybody at Bill McAnally Racing for helping coordinate that interview. So we got back-to-back champs on the show. I, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to go three for three and get Sam Mayer on next week because uh, GMS Racing has not replied to my inquiry yet. But I'm sure that we'll be able to get that at some point this offseason. But I do have, I haven't recorded them yet, but I do have two interviews lined up. And let's just say one is Jesse's teammate and one is a former Cup Series winner. Get excited, folks. Going to be fun. Look nuts of the week. Cue down fucking music, white boy. Jimmy Johnson will share the 48 Chip Ganassi Racing IndyCar with Tony Kanaan. He's going to run it on ovals. Jimmy will run it on street and road courses for next year. That should be a hell of a team to watch. And Jimmy also earned the Bill France Award for Excellence at the Virtual NASCAR Awards this past week. Most popular drivers were announced. No shocker, Chase Elliott wins it for Cup. Xfinity was Justin Allgaier, and Zane Smith won it in the Truck Series. New team was announced. We knew that Matt Tift and BJ McLeod had formed a team and had purchased a charter, but the name has been revealed, Live Fast Motorsports. They're going to pilot the 78 Ford 
Mustang, and it was announced this week that BJ McLeod will actually drive that car in 2021. So congrats to all those folks over there. The Truck Series schedule, and now it's officially back to the Camping World Truck Series schedule, which is good because I always forget whether it's Gander RV and Outdoors or Gander Mountain or Gander Outdoors. It was, it was a bunch of stuff. But the truck schedule for 2021 was announced. He got two dirt races on there. Bristol, which we kind of knew, and instead of Eldora, Knoxville in Iowa. That's right, where the Knoxville Nationals take place. Truck Series is going to race at Knoxville. That's going to be very fun to watch. Also of note with that specific schedule, the regular season finale will be held at Watkins Glen. Don't think the trucks have visited that track for a while, so that should be fun to watch as well. Natalie Decker tested positive for COVID-19 this week. Thankfully, she appears to be doing okay and will make a full recovery. We send our thoughts out to her and her family. Matt Kenseth has said that his time of full-time racing in NASCAR is over. Maybe some one-offs here and there, but probably not. I don't think I mentioned it last week, but Chase Purdy is going to run full-time with GMS Racing next year in the Truck Series, taking over for Brett Moffitt. And JGR announced their crew chief lineup for 2021, and there has been some changes. And if you want my two cents, I will tell you I don't agree with it. But Adam Stevens is not going to be crew chief in Kyle Busch anymore. He moves to the 20 car and will be Christopher Bell's shot caller. Ben Bishore moves up from Xfinity to be the crew chief for Kyle Busch full-time in the 18 camp. Chris Gabehart staying with Denny Hamlin and James Small staying with Martin Truex Jr. So we'll see how it works out. I think it may have been a bit of an impulse rash decision for a short-term gain and a long-term not so much of a gain. Not a loss, but not so much of a gain. I think Adam and Kyle were a really good pair, but I guess we will see, won't we? That'll wrap things up for episode 83 of Victory Lane 2.0, everybody. Thank you guys for listening. I actually mentioned it to you at the start for some reason. Maybe because I lost my train of thought and I wanted to sound professional and keep it going, which I think I did pretty damn well, by the way. But I'll say it again. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. Wherever you consume your podcasts, we should be available there for you. And if we're not, drop me a line and I'll try to rectify that issue for you. Peace and love, my dude and dudettes. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Have a happy, safe holiday. Stay safe. Stay inside. Keep washing those hands. Wear your masks. And I will catch you on the flip side.